1: On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Maxine, and Maxine was married to a possible psychopath. It's a story of the enlightened con man, disappearing acts, physical abuse, and a flawed court system. And now, if you have not been to our website recently and you want to be a guest on our show, please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. Click that button, takes you to Guest Form, fill it out, and we will go from there. But another way to be on our show is to be part of our Letters to My Narcissist Compilation 6 episode And you can also go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. On the side of the page, there's a floating button that says send voicemail. Press that button. It records up to five minutes. Press it twice. Records up to 10. Three times 15. We are accumulating these letters for a volume six of our Letters to My Narcissist episode. If you do not want to read the letter yourself and you want me or my old pal Melissa to read the letter for you, please send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com and put letters to my narcissist in the subject line. And everyone, we have a Patreon. Yes, we have a Patreon. What is a Patreon? Well, at our Patreon, you have episodes that never made it to air. We have follow-up episodes with former guests. We've actually got a lot in the tank for that one. We've got a bunch coming out. And we also have virtual support groups uh, on there as well. You know, we do Zoom calls every Wednesday night and Saturday night from 9 to 11 Eastern. And we also have our own forum board and more is going to be added soon as the functionality of our new uh, forum is building itself out. I can't wait for all that to be done. And you can go to patreon.com slash just to support the show. You know, if you want to support the show, become a patron of our Patreon at patreon.com slash narcissistapocalypse. And now before we start our show, some I guess housekeeping I'd like to discuss. So in it might be starting this week or next week. We will be having ads on our show. At first, they will be before the show and then at the end of the show. And eventually, we will be doing red ads on the show. I hope you guys don't find that to be too annoying or intrusive. But we've grown and it takes up a lot of time. So it is a necessary evil. That we have to do because I spent a lot of time doing this show. And we're also going to be starting a uh, second show. So I don't know if you guys know, but a long time ago, we had a Q&A podcast that was a separate podcast. And, you know, during the pandemic, you know, we just ran into some troubles getting enough people because there was so much going on for everyone. And we will be starting that back, back up, but we will be collapsing it into this podcast. So eventually you're going to see that we have a Monday episode and then a Q&A episode on a Thursday or Friday. We already have some people lined up to be on the show. We have Bill Eddy, who you've heard me mention on the show. He will be coming on to talk about co-parenting. We have Dr. Kenneth Adams, whose specific specialty is enmeshment. We have HG Tudor coming on, who is a narcissist himself, who educates people about the mindset of a narcissist, and he's uh, got a wealth of knowledge. You, You guys will thoroughly enjoy that, and you'll learn a lot from that as well. And then we also have Natalie Hoffman from Flying Free, who is involved in uh, christian abuse, and we 're got some more people that we 're trying to line up. You know, those will be the first four that we 're going to be doing, so get ready for that and Now, when it comes to this episode, I just first want to say you know we 've been having a lot of sound issues lately. And we're trying to work on it. I think we have a fix coming, uh, you know, not next week because we've already recorded that, but maybe the week after, um, Of how to kind of get, you know, more of a quality sound throughout. This episode was recorded on two separate occasions, and you'll notice in this one... Um, that there is a complete sound change from uh, the first time we recorded. So at a certain point in maybe like 25 minutes in, you'll hear there's a complete sound change uh, on Maxine because we recorded uh, two different times, and also with three different ways of recording because there were kept on being uh, weird noises kind of going on. We did our best to, to shape it up as best we could uh, for this. That's the unfortunate part. So we're, we're still trying to figure out how to get consistent sound because we, we, you know, most of the time we're doing it with people over phones. So uh, I think we might have found a way. It's uh, just going to take a lot more uh, work on our end to do. Uh, but I apologize about that cause I know it's been a little rough rate lately and it's, uh, you know, my sincerest apologies. I do my best to kind of do it all, but I, you know, in a lot of ways I'm a, I, I do it all myself. So it's, it's not that easy and I don't have the, as much time as, uh, you know, I would like. So anyway, um, uh, that's that. And, you know, Maxine's story is, um, you know, it becomes more shocking as it goes on and, You know, she went through a lot and there's physical abuse uh, in this episode. It's a graphic description. So I just want to give a trigger warning to uh, everyone. Um, You know, this is a trigger warning the whole episode. There's a lot of stuff that's kind of discussed further on. Um, You know, there's animal uh, abuse and it gets extreme and uh, it's discussed as well. So uh, just, you know, if that's going to trigger you, please don't listen to this episode and sorry, one last thing. I almost forgot. If you please do not mind, uh, there's a survey that will be in our notes section that you can click on and answer. It will do, do us a favor for the show to fill out that survey. We are going to be uh, running a contest. So, uh, 10 people who are, um, you know, going to fill out the survey. You, if you leave your email, we, we will be running a little bit of a raffle and incentive. 10 people will win a $25 gift card to Amazon uh, for helping out. So, a big thank you for everyone doing that in advance. Without further ado, here is my episode with Maxine. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. With me today, I have Maxine. How are you?
0: I am well. Thank you for having me. today.
1: Well, thank you for being here today. People are going to hear your story, and it's you know, uh, it was a difficult uh, relationship that you were in. It was a toxic relationship you were th- you were in. And you have a lot of learning lessons uh, in your story, especially when it comes to court, things to do, things you didn't do uh, correctly. And, you know, I just want to thank you for being here uh, with me today. And uh, Maxine, the floor is now yours.
0: Wow. Okay. That's uh... That's a little scary, but I will get started. Um, Again, thanks for having me. I think what you're doing is really important, and I appreciate that this is out there. Um, Wish I could have heard some of these stories, you know, five, seven, ten years ago. Um, I'm honoured to be able to tell my story, so thank you. Um, And I guess I'll get right into it um, by giving a bit of my history. So I grew up in a family that, of course, I didn't understand at the time, but it was a toxic environment. My dad was pretty classic narcissist. He cheated on my mom. He had a problem with alcohol. Um, she was very codependent, very needy on my dad. So there'd be a lot of drinking, a lot of fighting, um, cheating on her, lots, just lots of drama. And Every once in a while, my mom would get up the courage to leave. And I, I remember as a child thinking, just leave, please, just leave, get us out of here. And then he would cry some tears and play some sad songs on his guitar and she'd be hooked again. So now I can recognize those patterns that, that were going on in my family. And I vowed, even at a young age, that I am going to grow up and I'm never going to do what my parents do. I'm gonna have two kids and I'm gonna be a, a healthy, good mom and all of those things that I dreamed of and I but I didn't have I didn't know how to do that, right? So I um I came out of that and did get married and did think I was marrying someone in my first marriage that was completely different than my dad because this man was educated and he told me that he didn't drink. So I'm like, wow, he's opposite of my dad. This is great. Um, so husband, I've, had, I've been married twice. Husband number one was, um, looking back, I think he was so much milder than the second one as far as his abusive uh, behaviors and his toxicity. But I, I married him nonetheless. We had two children. Everything looked Wonderful from the outside, you know, the 2.5 kids, white picket fence, nice house, um, holidays, all of the good things from the outside. But on the inside, I was, I was um, miserably unhappy because there was a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. Um, Number one, he was a raging alcoholic um, and and a narcissist. They kind of referred to him as a baby narcissist. So, so I thought it was bad. I felt absolutely unhappy. So I went back to school and I became a teacher um, during that marriage. And I made a vow to myself that I would get my education and I would leave this man and I would start fresh with my children and try to do what was right for them. Even though I was terrified and, you know, scared to leave for sure. But... Kind of made that bow to myself once I get my education i would I would get out, so that's what i did
1: so after the you know this relationship right here and the way that you were raised, did you have uh, an idea in your mind of what you wanted your next relationship to be like, and the values that the other person might have had, or you know red flags you were possibly looking for? And were you or were you like, okay, as long as he's, you know, does this and this, that's good enough for me.
0: No, absolutely. So first husband was very materialistic, very money focused, um, very condescending. He he actually I wasn't allowed to speak to a lot of my cousins that I had grown up with because he felt that they were below us. So I kind of a disconnected from them. Um He drank, he had no spiritual side, and I, so in my head, I'm thinking, you know, maybe one day I could meet someone who was spiritual, someone who appreciated nature the way I did, uh, someone who didn't place materialistic things so high. So, yeah, I was definitely having those thoughts, like, all of the things that would be different, right, and this, this other person, this new person, would not be a drinker, because I grew up with that alcohol. And then I was married to it and I thought, so yeah, so that exactly right. My my thoughts were he doesn't drink and he's spiritual and he loves nature and all of you know, those kind of things.
1: And did so, you did you grow up religious at all? Or were you just into spiritual spiritual type um, environment?
0: Well, funny story, and I don't know if a lot of the listeners have heard of residential school by the Catholics. So my mom was actually taken from her home. She was Indigenous, Native American, um, and put into residential school, which was run by Catholics. So even though that happened and she suffered all of the abuses that you hear about in the media, and it was brutal, um, she still stayed with that Catholic upbringing. So we had to go to church on special occasions. We had to get Baptized. We had to go to catechism classes. So there was some religion, but it wasn't. It wasn't a big part of my childhood. Um, the one good thing my parents did was they did bring us out into nature a lot, and I felt that real connection in nature, and I loved that. Right. So I think that was just a, that was a real gift that they gave us, despite all of the dysfunction and other things that were going on.
1: And I think um, for those who don't know uh, what a residential school is, I, in Canada, it's, uh, I think, more known than in the United States. So you just want to explain what a residential school is for one second?
0: Yeah, definitely. So um, we, we call it Indigenous out here, and I know in the States it's um, more Native American, but a lot of the kids were taken from their homes at a young age and put into these schools the sort of colonial colonial, I can never say that word, colonialize them yes. to make, to get the savage out of them, right? Like you, you got to learn this European way of being. So kids were removed from their home and placed in these these schools in a different, like they removed from town that they lived in into the city and put into these schools where they were um, taught uh, not to speak their language. Hair was cut and all, all, all their culture was removed from them. Um, And religion was forced on them. So in my mom's case and in most people's cases, not a positive experience at all. It was a very abusive, scary experience. And we have news every day in Canada of different things that are starting to be uncovered that have happened in these residential schools that are just atrocious. So so my mom suffered that trauma. So she was very um, needy when she met my dad. She was afraid of abandonment. She had lots of issues that that I learned. Right? I learned that it was normal to put up with abusive behavior because that's what she put up with her whole her whole life, and she didn't know better. So does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, so yeah. So. Uh, I'm not sure where I left off. Um, Uh,
1: So you were, you know, just talking about how uh, you uh, became a teacher and mm -hmm. I guess it was the end of your relationship with your uh, first husband.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it was fairly drama free and fairly decent, right? The ending. It was, it was, you know, some, of course, some. Some drama and and anger, but for the most part, it was, um, when I compared it now in retrospect to my second, it was pretty mild. Um, there was no custody battle. He didn't really want the kids around. It was just, um, yeah, it, it went fairly smoothly as, as far as divorces go. So here I am now, sort of starting my life over. I'm a teacher and my very first job ends up being at this school that I didn't apply to. I applied to the district and ended up at the school. But the school was just my ideal place. I walked in and it was, it was just exactly where I wanted to be. Um, they were teaching all of the things that were important to me. They had the plant gardens. Um, with the Indigenous plants that I grew up with. Um, they they taught meaningful, important things that were important to me. So, actually, the very first thing that we did prior to school year starting was we went on a teacher's retreat. And it was a bit of a camp where there was um, cabins and uh, meals and meetings and things like that. And I remember going and... I was really excited to be starting my teaching career. And I, my kids were a little older, but they were at home with my mom. I I was super excited, and I remember meeting this man, and I watched him. We had a what we call a sweat lodge ceremony, which there, there I was in this spiritual place, right? And I, I saw this man there, and he had his children with him. And I found him to be so attentive to his children. And I thought, wow, look at this spiritual man who's attentive and loving to his children, and who seems very insightful, very connected to nature, and I, I'm just kind of watching him in awe. And, you know, we do our thing, we do our, our retreat, didn't give it a whole lot more thought other than I thought this was a pretty neat experience that I was having and kind of a an interesting man that I met, but that was it. And then the school year starts and this same man comes into my classroom after school and he starts talking to me. And um, now, of course, I recognize this as that mirroring piece, right? So he hears what I like. He hears that I love to deal with plants and work with um, making different teas and things like that. And he's totally into that. He's sharing some some resources with me, and I'm like, wow, this guy, you know, he knows all this stuff. And then he starts opening up about his mom. His mom had been in the same sort of residential school as my mom. And he's experienced trauma, and he's so open, and he cries, and he talks about his children, and he sobs. And I'm like, what a sensitive, wonderful, enlightened being this man is. Like, I just saw him as a a type of person I'd never met before in my life that I didn't even know existed. I had him on a huge head. And uh, I, you know, right away was taken by him. Right away. Um, I almost, when I look back, and I've watched a lot of shows on cult, and now that I know some stuff and now that I can look back on it, I feel like he was very similar to a cult leader where he knew exactly what to say to me. you knew exactly how to pull me in. And I was absolutely clueless. I did not know people like this existed in the world. So I bought it all. Like I, I fell right into the trap within about probably three months of my teaching job, I uh, started a relationship with him. And I I can't even tell you exactly how it started. It was just him coming in every day and he'd play a song for me. And I love music, right? He'd find a meaningful song song to play and he'd, he'd cry. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, like, who is this guy? He's, He's perfect, right? He's sensitive and caring and passionate. And I would see him get worked up at work, right? And sometimes I'd see him get angry and he'd say, I'm just passionate. I'm passionate about these students. I'm passionate about my work. And I'd be like, oh, yes, he's so passionate.
1: So right here is something that we've actually never discussed on the show, We point out a lot of different things, but here is someone who is raging. And, you know, to hide their rage, they're saying that they are a passionate person. Mm -hmm. And so right there, you go from it being, you know, maybe a warning sign or a red flag, but he's been able to flip it and say, no, this is a good thing. I have passion for things. I am interested in things. I care. And, you know, that rage has now been, you know, uh, substituted for passion and caring about things, which is something people don't uh, really recognize right off the bat when someone flips it that fast. And so you're now looking at this horrible thing and you have a positive spin on it. And you know, that's a really big one right there for you because, you know, he's checking all of these boxes and you're like, Oh, he's he's one for one, he's two for two, he's three for three, he's the most sensitive man I've ever met. The way you've made it sound is he is the most sensitive man anyone could meet right off the bat. He's in touch with his feelings and he has passion for life. He cares about people. They're at this point for you coming out of what you came out of. And now, and now you're encountering this, this whole slew of characteristics that are checking all their boxes. That's hard to resist.
0: Absolutely. Because I felt like my first marriage was just void of anything. You know, I was just with this materialistic man who just worked and drank and cheated on me, right? And, and was so disconnected from me and the kids um to this new person who was just seemed so in touch and spiritual and vulnerable and had shared trauma with me and loved all of the things that I loved
1: and here's another just another thing shared trauma so you know people say oh i was trauma bonded with this person but another thing is which is different is bonding over trauma yeah. And you know bonding over shared um like bad experiences negative experiences is you know especially for people that are coming from uh these backgrounds where they feel, "Oh, no one will understand me or no one will accept me for what i've been through. I'm damaged goods you know here you have someone who has you know the equal amount or at least seems like they have that too, so there's this understanding of where you came from, what you've had to deal with. And again, that's another way of kind of hooking you in and feeling that, you know, this person gets me and I get them.
0: 100%. And, you know, part of it was that cultural piece, right? Um, And I'll tell you, like I found out later on after I got to know his mom, but he actually sat and told me that his mom had suffered the same thing that my mom did, that she was in residential school and and... So I really thought he got it. He understood some of those those things that happened in my upbringing that no one else could. I find out later on, way later on, that that wasn't true. Because I got to know his mom and, and that never happened to her. So he actually made that up like complete blatant lie, which I think is just awful because of all the people that have gone through that to just make that up and then put his mom in that position, right? So um, lots and lots of lies there, but that was one of them, right? And the other one was he said his ex was um, an alcoholic and getting to know her, which I did, and her his ex before me and I became friends after I was out of the relationship with him. Um, and I'll get into that down afterwards, I'll get into that, it'll make more sense. But um, basically I reached out to her and her and I connected and um, the way he had portrayed her was she too was an alcoholic and and cheated on him, which was far from the truth. And um, so yeah, just trying to share these traumas that were artificial, like he was just making it up and copying my traumas to make me feel like he understood me. So pretty bizarre. So, so yeah, um, it was an intense beginning. I felt like I'd met my soulmate, right? Like I thought, wow, this guy is exactly everything that I've ever dreamed of. And I, 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 at that time I was living alone with my children and, started seeing him and you know of course it's always easy, easy to see red flags when we look back and we've learned things but um, I didn't know what to look for as far as red flags. I never heard of red flags. I just thought I'd met this this great guy and then little things would happen and they were little I guess you think of that devaluing piece. He would just you know maybe one day at work um, he wouldn't talk to me. And I'd be like, oh, why isn't he talking to me? And and I would sort of pursue him, right? Like, hey, right? And Or I remember once I had him, after a bit of time, I had him over to my house to meet my kid and thought we had a great night. It was pretty low-key, dinner, played a game of pool, and he was leaving. He was in my garage leaving and all of a sudden, sullen, angry, and I'm like, what's wrong? What happened? Did I, and, and all I could think of is, what did I do? What did I do? I must have said something, done something to piss him off because it went from absolutely great to absolutely horrible. So we have this great night with the kids, dinner, playing pool, and then all of a sudden, he's angry and he's not, and he's leaving. And I remember going up to his car I- Hey, what's wrong? Are are you okay? Like, did I do something? I can't talk to you. I don't want to talk about it. And he drove away. And he didn't text me, call me, communicate with me for three days. He'd come into work. He would walk by my room like I didn't exist. And I'm like, feeling like I'm going to lose my mind. I'm like, what happened, right? Thinking it was me. What did I do? Replaying every minute every interaction and convinced that I had done something wrong because this spiritual, wonderful, amazing guy wouldn't do something wrong. Right? So I really didn't love or value myself enough at all at that time. And that actually makes me really sad for for myself, for my past self. And uh, anyway, so those were the little red flags that started ignoring some silent treatment and then they would follow up by this intense making up where I'd be pleading, like, tell me what I did and then he would be finally, you know, kind of opening his arms and letting me back in and I'd be just feeling this crazy relief like, okay, all is well and we're back. We're back to where we were, and it was real. It's a very bizarre thing when I look back on it.
1: But. So, so early on here, what is happening, you know, I don't know if you're a hook, lined and sinker in, in yet, but in even in this little phase early on, he's really testing your boundaries to see what he can get away with early. Yeah. And... You know, these might be these little tiny tests, nothing that will be too alarming. They're very, very short and small tests to see uh, if you will stick around, to see um, what you will put up with. And if, you know, in some instances with people like this, they do these little things and they're able to, you know, because it's so small, um, love bomb or you know, gaslight you back into normality pretty quickly uh, just to test to see what works and what doesn't work. Usually if something doesn't work, the relationship might be over right there. But these little things are are all working on you in the sense of these boundaries are being tested and he's getting away with it. So eventually these things will become bigger and bigger. But right now, you know, here's a time where, you know, these things are happening and you're really are you saying to yourself, this isn't right? Or are you just at this point, you know, you obviously you, everything about him has blurred your your vision. So um, is there any point at, at this time being like, I, I'm going to break up with him? Like are you at that point or it's not, that's not even in your vocabulary, in your mind yet?
0: Well, I think it was, but there was a lot of confusion and, You know, when you talk about gaslighting and love bombing, that was going on big time, right? So there wouldn't be the talk for three days. And then all of a sudden, it was my birthday. And he had came into my classroom and filled it with balloons and flowers and chocolates and involved all the students. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, he hasn't spoke to me in three days. But then there's this. So there was a lot of really weird confusion because I was doubting myself. Um, And he would, the way he would gaslight me would be, you don't know what it's like to be in a really true loving relationship. You're damaged. You're damaged from your ex. And I'm showing you true love and you don't understand it. So right away, he had thrown in this doubt. Um, um, You know, and it was that gaslighting stuff, right? Like you don't really know what love is and I'm trying to show you what love is, but you need some help with dealing with your your ex and all your, your baggage, right? And I believed that. I went, oh yeah, I must have baggage. So then I was carrying that piece of, of doubting myself, which makes me so mad now and makes me wish I could go back and, and <laughs> redo it. But... um so yeah, so those were the the pieces, and I can see them so clearly now, right? And how needy I would be. I, I remember him telling me I was jealous and to get help, and I, you know, because when he wouldn't talk to me for three days, my head would be going in weird places and say, "You're so damaged and you're so jealous and you've got to get into therapy. You don't know." what a good and actual relationship he looks like. So that's what I believed. I believed him. I had him so high up on a pedestal that I would have probably believed anything that he told me at that time. Um, I remember talking to a, a few friends that and saying, you know, probably not making much sense to them, but I I look back and there's that, I think it's cognitive dissonance, which I don't, really quite understand, but I think that's what it was, right? Like I I was feeling one thing and there was other things happening and I was confused and unclear what was happening. So I was trying to talk to my friends, but it really wasn't very productive, I guess, because I couldn't hear what they were saying. Um, I think it is good for people to know that this is so common, right? And I've met many women along like since we've been apart in two thousand and fourteen we separated and seeing other women in that throes of passion with this soulmates and I just I just cringe for them because I, I know what they're probably up against and it's very sad. And I, I know I couldn't hear at that time I couldn't hear anybody. I just wanted to believe that this love story was real. And that makes me sad for for myself at that point. Um, so I guess the next, you know, when I'm talking about the next sort of step was it. Uh, I, I had my own home at that time. I had it all paid for and it was a big house. It was too big for the kids and I and I put it up for sale. Fully intending to move into a smaller townhouse that was being built. And I put a deposit on it, and uh, it was almost to the point where it was done. And that was my plan. I sold my house and had everything timed out that I'd be moving into this townhouse. And uh, I got a call from the builder saying, uh, this is bad news. Your townhouse has burned to the ground, and you know we're not going able to build it again for at least uh, a year because we have to deal with this and then rebuild it. And looking back, you know, it wasn't even on my mind. But I don't know. I, after everything that happened, I I now think that he very likely had something to do with that. Though I have no proof, in that to stretch. But I I do know there was other fires that were involved. So let's just put it at like that. Um, so there I was with two kids. I had nowhere to go. So um, it was set up to make it like it was my idea, but I know I was manipulated um, and clueless. And we made the move to live together at his acreage. Um, what was interesting was his acreage. It was beautiful. The, the land was beautiful. And um, coincidentally, my ancestors were from that very area. So again, that piece of we're meant to be, this is, this is like the universe at work, like this is my ancestor's land and this is perfect. So it wasn't hard to convince me to move in there. And we had these ideas to run all these youth culture camps and it was just exciting in a way to go live there. So I used all of my house money. I got cash for my house. It was paid off when I had it and I had this large sum of money. And we went and we fixed up his place we put a basement so my kids would have a place to stay i paid off all of his debts because i loved him so much you know Uh, his car loan i bought a boat for us i bought a holiday trailer i bought a quad i bought a lawn tractor um he kept saying you know i want your kids here Um, we put bedrooms for my kids and it was out of town and my kids were in high school so they They, you know, part of them were like, Mom, you know, we kind of want to stay in the city, be close to our school, so we're going to stay with our dad during the week. And that broke my heart because I was such a dedicated, committed mom. And but I was in this weird, crazy denial of trying to make this relationship so and trying to deny what was actually happening. So I, I was super sad not to have my kids there all the time, not to be making their lunches um and because he was jealous of them and when i look back and i see that reality i was just trying to keep the peace he was super jealous and threatened by my relationship with my kids so i was just walking on eggshells i was hoping he wouldn't get angry he wouldn't go into one of his rages and um yeah it was it was scary it was scary and it was weird but I was just focused on making it work. I was super focused on not failing at a second relationship. I already failed at my marriage and here I was in this new relationship and I was determined to make it work.
1: Yes. Yeah, so here's, here's another thing that's kind of going on here, which is the belief system right there, which is most likely going to uh, keep you around a little bit longer, which is that belief system And, you know, this guy right now is loving life. I mean, he's in a real good situation for himself right here. Your kids are gone for the most part. A lot of his stuff is being taken care of. He doesn't have to worry about a lot of stuff financially. He um, is living a more comfortable life probably than he was before. And, you know, this kind of, you know, you hear different types of, uh, you know, we use the term narcissist loosely in the sense because it could be any type of disorder, but we name it that way on the show. And, and, but the type that you are having right here is most likely not uh, someone who is going to discard you. This yours wants all of your time and doesn't want yeah. to share it with anyone.
0: At this point, okay. but it it got to where he would discard me and. Okay. I yeah, so here I was walking on these eggshells, being super wife, right? I would bring him dinner. I would do all of the things that a good woman wife would do, but I started seeing more and more things. I started seeing the time that I didn't pay one of the bills, and he screamed at me and called me an idiot, and I was shocked, and then... I would see him. We went to a conference out of town, and he would not stop staring. There was this gorgeous, stunning, beautiful woman there. She, I mean, a lot of people were looking at her. She was so beautiful, but he was making the hugest point of staring at her, smiling at her. And it was embarrassing. Like, it was to the point where I was embarrassed for me, for her, for him. And that was just sort of the first glimpse I got into that world. And I, we left the conference and I said, you know, that was really awkward. I get that you had to look. This woman was stunning, but that that was kind of a little over the top. And I, I got a seven day silent treatment for bringing that up. And he started leaving the house. So we would, we would have. Maybe an argument or maybe nothing. I could have moved a plate the wrong way. And he would start leaving for three days, for four days. And I couldn't understand where he'd go. Couldn't understand why he wouldn't answer his phone. But that piece of me, that that fear of abandonment part of me would be so, oh, just um, huge, I guess. It was just in the forefront that I would just become obsessed with trying to track him down, like phoning him, texting him, and nothing. And then finally he would come home. And we would never discuss the fact that he left. I would just bring him some food, hope that he would forgive me for whatever it was that I may have done or not done. And then I would feel this relief. And it was like, he's okay again. We can just keep going. It was just It's bizarre to think of it now. It's so bizarre um, to think of that me being that clueless to this behavior, but it was just so new to me. Um, sometimes he would just have a rage at home. He would decide to throw a plate against the wall and then go down to the basement and hide and not speak to me. But, you know, me being who I was, I would bring him down his food and set it down and sit, literally sit on the floor by his feet and hope that he would just give me something to say it was okay. So I might get a pat on the shoulder and I'd be like, okay, okay we're good. So I was, I feel like that was the part where I was getting worn down, worn down, worn down, worn down, deep into this pit. So... Throughout our relationship, um, we had talked about having a baby. And um, early in our relationship, I actually got pregnant and suffered a miscarriage. And he was there with me. And then I got pregnant again. And at this point, the first miscarriage, I still thought we were, we had just moved in together. I still thought things were okay. I hadn't seen that real, real dark side of him and um had this miscarriage and he was super supportive and um i thought it in some ways it strengthened our relationship uh soon after that i got pregnant again and we went for an ultrasound and um um, i i don't remember exactly what was happening at that time i don't remember what he was involved in and, and where we were exactly at but I ended up going into the ultrasound and they discovered that the baby's heartbeat was really, really weak. And again, I lost that baby and that was super sad. And again, I'm not sharing this stuff with anybody. It was just him and I. And um, I was going through these little, well, not the little, but these traumatic events. And then um, eventually got pregnant again. And this, um, uh, so, so we really wanted to have a baby, so I had this, this little, I had this pregnancy, which was scary at first. I was, of course, very nervous. Is this going to be okay? Um, he seemed to be in a pretty decent headspace. He was coming home. There wasn't a lot of disappearing act. He was sticking pretty close until later in the pregnancy, and then... Uh, his whole addiction reared its head in a big way. And he was back onto all night on the computer, pornography, um, disappearing again for his, whatever he was doing. And um, eventually I, of course got near the end of my pregnancy and I went for a checkup and the doctor said the baby was a breech baby. So um, I was really concerned with his, you know, the end in this breech baby because it's important that they're in a certain position and their head is down and her little head was not down. So uh, I drove myself into the city and went to a, um, a chiropractor of some kind that was known for being able to flip the babies around. So went and did that and immediately it put me into labor. So I sold him at work. And he's a real showpiece at school where he teaches. He teaches adults, and he teaches mostly women. And he just loves teaching these women. They're hanging on his every word because he's interesting and entertaining, and he's teaching them, of all things, he's teaching them biology and sex ed, which is rather disturbing. And um, I'm phoning him at work saying, I'm actually in labor and I'm stuck at this chiropractor's office and I need you to come and get me. And he has me on speakerphone in his class. And, uh, you know, he's getting all this attention and I'm like, can you just come and drive me to the hospital, please? Instead of getting attention from all these women and having me on speakerphone when I'm in a crisis. And I, he was just, And it was so weird. So I'm like, I can't wait. Like I need to get to the hospital. So I get in a big farm truck and drive myself to the next town because that's where our hospital and our doctor was and drove myself through rush hour traffic to the hospital because he was too busy entertaining his students. And I parked, I went upstairs to the hospital. I'm in labor and I I think it took him another three hours to actually show up at the hospital. And by that time I was going in for an emergency C section and um which is another big event, right? This is a big deal. You're paralyzed from the neck down with um with whatever they do to freeze you and I have this beautiful baby. Had a birth plan that involved uh, not that, of course, but after the birth, I had certain things that I wanted and ways that I wanted to do it that I spoke with the doctor about. So we're in the room, and this just set the mood for uh, her whole childhood in a way. So we're in, finished the C section, we're back in the room, and I'm holding this little baby and, um, it was really important for me to nurse her at the beginning because I knew that was very good for the babies. I did it with my other kids, and this was something I wanted to do. But I was also paralyzed from the medication, so I couldn't really hold her that well. So I tried to tell him, I said, you know I, this is important. I'd like to do this. And he said, no, nope, not going to happen. And he takes her, and he's holding her, and I said, no, seriously, like, Needs to nurse. It's important. And uh, he called me a freak. He screamed at me. um, And then he called the nurse and asked her for a bottle of formula. And I'm like, please do not give her that bottle. And uh, he again continued to berate me and criticize me and call me all sorts of names as I laid there, paralyzed in this hospital bed completely helpless to go take my baby. And he made a big show of, and the nurses thought he was the most amazing dad. Look at, look at this guy. He's he's funny. He's, He's a great dad. He's singing to the baby. He's rocking and feeding the baby. And I'm laying there in this bed sobbing and paralyzed. And it was so brutal. So brutal. And, um, I don't even, I, that, that was a moment of, it was excruciating. Um, it, he took, he took a huge thing away from me there. And, uh, he was giving me a pretty strong message when I look back on it, right? And, um, I guess he continued even, even though he was the one who was working and I stayed home with her, he, and she got to know it too, when he came home, he was the one who was in charge. And um, his, his ego was so fragile that even when she was a toddler, this little person was a toddler, he would be offended if she wanted me to hold her. Sometimes kids are into their mom, sometimes their dad. And if, if I was to hold her and she didn't want to go to her dad at that moment, he would go into a rage. He would pout. He would sulk. He would go to his basement little hiding spot and ignore us for hours, right? Because she wanted to be held by her mom. Um, yeah, and he has two kids from his previous marriage. That used to come over every second weekend for visitation and when they turned 18 they contacted me and they said we will never speak to that man again um just so you know because they stopped coming and i phoned them and i said are you guys like going to come over are you okay like i think i was inviting them for a birthday party and they said no no um we're 18 now like the youngest one had turned 18 we will never ever expose ourselves to that man again in our lives. We're done with him. So um if that wasn't a red flag, I don't know what was. I um,
1: at at this point we're with knowing how he is and your daughter, you know, is going through, you know, from, from birth to where she is now. Um were you scared at that time to uh leave her alone with him uh for her safety for her sexual safety uh just his um lack of being um lack of good decision making uh, things along those lines um were did, was that like a big struggle for you every single day
0: no, because I was mostly home with her. And okay. the times that I have to go, um, say, I had to go get groceries or something, I, at that point, hadn't read his journals. At that point, I didn't know. Um, you know, I'd seen him with the animals, but he'd always been okay with her. So I would go get groceries, and, and I wouldn't I wouldn't be panicking. Uh, what I found out after by reading these crazy journals was, Um, every time that I would leave the house with her or without her, um, he would be actively engaging in pornography and be, you know, supposedly taking care of our daughter. So in retrospect, yeah, and now, yeah, I totally worry because I know all that stuff, but at that time I didn't know it. And um, I guess I fortunately, um, after we started attempting to have a baby, I was always self-employed. I gave up my teaching career to run a business, but I was able to run that business from home. So I was kind of the primary caregiver. And, you know, um, I think it was about three weeks after she was born. So I still was not allowed to lift anything heavy. I had a C-section, right? So when we had this acreage out in the middle of nowhere, he decided he was going to do one of his runaway acts. So here I am. It is December. It's cold, no storm. I'm on an acreage that is heated with an outdoor wood boiler that requires you to go outside and feed this boiler these enormous heavy logs that were too heavy for me to lift. And he left, and he didn't come back for like three or four days. I was home alone. In this cold um, snow, like, like, couldn't even get into our driveway because of all the snow. And I was trying to put logs into this boiler without ripping my stitches open and home with this little baby. And, uh, yeah, just gone for four days. And
1: and I learned that. So so his his pathology is really, uh, he wants all of the attention from anyone to always be on him. He gets very jealous if someone uh, slights him in any way. And that slight could be, you know, your daughter paying attention to you or someone, um, you know, paying more attention to you and he wants your attention and, you know, you have kids and, and, and all those things. So that's kind of one thing. At the same time, he also wants to do whatever he wants to do. And, uh, you know, if he's going to leave, he's going to leave. And there's nothing you can do about it. And he's going to leave and he's going to go have sex with sex workers or who knows who knows who else he might be meeting up with. Um, he's just going to do whatever he wants. He's playing with his own set of rules and you have your set of rules. And when, um, you know, you know, at that point, everything is unfair. Everything is a rage. Everything is an argument. And, you know, on top of that, he has uh, somewhat, uh, as we'll find out a little bit uh, later, uh, deeper and darker tendencies than, than we could ever uh, imagine. And, you know, but this guy is really playing his own hand as zero, um, you know, what's it called? He has zero empathy for whatever you or anyone else might be going through. And it's all about him and his immediate needs and gratifications.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He's very, very entitled, right? And his family scared of him. His mom would come to our house to help me. Like his mom had some compassion. She would come and stay for a few days to help me with the baby, help me with my business. But you could see that she was afraid of him. She would... Do his laundry and fold his underwear, and like just like toddle him, cook dinners. Make, and she would be shocked that I didn't make his lunches for work. And she'd be quickly making him a lunch and hurrying around. And you could see that she was afraid of him um, and afraid of his rage, right? So
1: yeah, because when he was in their home growing up, he obviously ruled the roost as far as his outbursts and they just cared, care took him or like, uh, I, what was the proper word? They, yeah. They,
0: they, they, enabled, they, they, enabled, they enabled it. Yeah. And she continues to this day to enable him. I remember when we were getting ready to, I was getting ready to go to criminal court um, because he was charged with two counts of assault after the fact I finally had gone to the police and done everything after we split up and they did a, you know, went went back in time to one of the previous assaults, as well as the current one. And they charged him with assault and assault bodily harm. And his mom actually contacted me and um, was pissed off and said, do not do this. Do not take my son to court. It is not fair. He doesn't deserve it. Uh, she tried to make me feel bad saying he was broke because he spent all his money on a lawyer and um, all this stuff, right? Just laying the guilt on. And I'm like, wow. You know, a year before I would have thought that, and felt sorry for him too. And I thought, too bad. You know what? He's never had consequences in his life because you've enabled him and this will not happen anymore. I was I was shocked, but I, I was her, right? I did the exact same things prior to that. I enabled, I protected, brought him his food, just walked on eggshells so I wouldn't let him. So she's she's still there. She's still stuck there. Um, most recently, he uh, I heard from my daughter that he was raging at his mom because He was planning to throw her a birthday party while we are locked down for COVID. And she didn't want to have a birthday party for obvious reasons because, number one, it's her health. Number two, it's against the law to be gathering indoors right now. And I guess he was raging and pouting because he wasn't able to throw her the birthday party that he had
1: planned. So what happened after this?
0: And then the really ugly stuff started. Um, I started seeing him abuse our animals. We had horses, we had goats, dogs, cats. We had a parrot that he went and bought. I would see him get up in the morning if the parrot dared wake him up. He would be enraged that the parrot had the nerve to make a noise before a certain time, and he would take his hat, his baseball cap, and he would start hitting and hitting this bird. And it was the most horrible thing I have ever witnessed at that point, to see this helpless animal just getting hit. And um, eventually, after months of this, I bundled that bird up. I bundled up this bird in a blanket, and I put her in a box. And I wrote a note that I found this bird and I dropped it off at the step of the FPCA and then I left. Um, he would punch the horses in the face. He would, uh, he would do horrible things to animals. And I, I, I didn't even know what to do with this. And it was, to me, it was now I'm, now I'm getting terrified of this guy. I'm seeing this violence in a human that I've never seen in my lifetime. And I, I was terrified. So deeper and deeper into this pit, I felt like I got, right?
1: Sorry, when, when those things were happening, mm-hmm. did you uh, start thinking about what that police officer friend of yours said at the beginning, or were you um, trying to put that out of your mind?
0: 100% out of my mind. Um, yeah, I wasn't thinking about it because I guess partly embarrassment, partly I'm going to prove that this can work and partly being so down in that dark pit, I don't think I could be straight. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just a scary place to be very scary.
1: And, lo- and, and, moments- and, and, and lonely. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. And then there'd be moments of he'd be back to himself and we'd be happy again, and we'd be in love, and something would happen, and it would be all good again, and I'd be like, okay, this is, this is okay, right? So he'd, he'd give me a little a little treat, right? And I'd be like, okay, I'm, I'm, we're going to be okay. He's a smart man. He's a teacher. He used to be a social worker. He's got this. He understands. We're going to make this work. We're going to figure it out so yeah i I just kept saying and getting deeper into the pit, and then I started to I don't know I, first, it started with he wanted to start being more um, what was his word sort of he wanted to explore our sexuality, right, and I'm like, oh, okay, well. What does that even mean? Um, he said, "Well, you know, there's there's many things out there. You're very you're very naive." Um, I ended up getting called a prude because I wasn't into his weird exploration, and I discovered that. Um, and he finally confessed that he was in the past in treatment for a severe sex addiction, and I'm like, "Well, are you recovered now?" Oh, yes. Yes, I'm, I'm recovered, but I'm just a very sexual person, he would say. He would say, okay. Um, so he told me that his his obsession was women with large breasts. And this is probably too much information, I'm sorry, but I wasn't a woman with large breasts. So then I'm feeling really inadequate. Like that's kind of that discard thing, right? I'm like, oh, well, I guess I can never be that. And um, it turned out through a series of events and chaos and crazy making, me monitoring his phone, me actually getting to the point of putting a tracker in his car because even though I was in that pit, there was a bit of intuition saying something is not right here. Something is wrong. It's not normal for him to disappear for three days. Where is he going? So those things, it took me It took me about a year and a half, but those things started coming into my mind, right? And uh, nothing major. I, I realized he was heavy into pornography. And I was like, you know, you got to stop this. Yeah, I'm going to stop this. Blah, blah, blah. You're a prude. You're boring. If you weren't so boring, I wouldn't have to do this. All of those things were happening. And then... Um, I think we had a fight and that was the first time he was physical with me. He grabbed me by the neck. He was leaving on one of his, I uh, probably run away for three days. And I went and I was screaming at him and I said, where do you go? And that was the first time I had sort of spoke up and he grabbed me by the throat and he started to strangle me. And I literally, Um, I I believe now what I've learned is when you are close to death, you urinate. And I was blacking out. I had peed all over the place. And I fell down in a crumpled heap. And, And he left. And I was there all alone on 40 acres, you know, 50 miles from any town, in the dark, going, what just happened? What just happened? I I almost died and I'm all alone and I didn't tell a soul. Not a single soul. I sat in that house and oh, I I was in severe shock. And uh then it came home and we pretended it didn't happen. Um but it switched something in me. Uh, We had another episode of violence after that. Um, And in there, I ended up pregnant and we had a beautiful, beautiful baby girl who became the light of my life. Um, My older kids were now getting to be, well, 18 and 19 by then. Um, They were away in university. So I I had this little baby. And I was fortunate that I was staying home with her. So we had a beautiful time. I I spent time outside with her. We, you know, I really loved that time. And he, he was gone a lot. And uh, when she was about one, um, he, he became kind of, you know, better for a bit. So I was thinking, you know, we're kind of on track. We're starting off our culture camp. We were having schools come out to our land and, we were doing all of the things that I thought we could do, and I was pretty excited and pretty happy for a bit, and then um, that's when I started realizing, wait a minute, it's kind of starting again. There's some weird stuff happening, and um, I'm starting to feel like something's weird. He's going to work in the morning, and he's really happy, and I, start, I was so in tune with his, his behaviors. That I knew Cologne for him was rare, um, but uh, well, I'll back up. I found I found in his car because I started going through everything because now I'm being suspicious and I'm I'm being called crazy. He told me I had problems with jealousy. I was going to see a therapist uh, to work on my jealousy issues because I kept saying I feel like something's not right. Oh, you're just jealous. You're crazy. You need help. And I believed him. So here I am at the therapist going, you know, I'm really insecure and jealous. And every time he goes out, I'm, I'm thinking he's up to no good. And he tells me he's not doing anything wrong. So it must be me. So I'm in therapy for this. And then I would find things in his car. I remember finding a, a bottle of expensive cologne and some condoms. I'm like, okay, well, that's kind of a clue to something. I call him out on it. He screams and rages at me, calls me jealous and psychotic, and I'm like, I ended up apologizing. I wish so badly I could relive some of those moments. Um, I'm finding things like women's gloves in his back seat. I'm finding uh, a broken beads like a necklace had broken with these cheap pearls all over the floor of his truck. And every time I would call him out, I would get called crazy. So now I'm starting to feel slightly crazy, but still my intuition is kind of screaming at me somewhere deep down. And one morning I remember he got up and he was all showered up. He had the cologne on and I'm like, "Mm, something's not right. And he made a comment when he was leaving or when he was getting ready and I don't know where he went, but I had time to look at his phone. So I picked up his phone, and I just thought, I'm going to check the last number he called. He just checked and check. So I see this number that I don't recognize that he called, and I jotted it down. And then as he was leaving for work that morning, he said to me, he said, yeah, I'll be busy at lunchtime today. Don't call me because I'm in meetings with Richard. Very specific. And I went, okay, I won't call you. All good. So off he goes. And I wait. And I end up waiting till, I think, lunchtime. And I call. And I said, uh, is Richard there? And Richard comes to the phone. And I said, "Ah, Richard, I'm really sorry to bother you. But um, I made up some excuse, like some I needed his credit card number. And I said, you know, he left for work. And I didn't get the number. And I need it for this thing. And. I said, I know you guys are in a meeting together, so I thought I would <laughs> try to get to you. So I was being sneaky. So I was on the phone, and I asked his coworker worker um, if he could, you know, I said, I know you guys are in a meeting, so can you get him to call me or whatever? And he said, oh, no, we don't have a meeting. And I said, oh, okay, sorry, I misunderstood, thought you were in a meeting. So then I go to the computer, and I type in Google, the phone number on his phone. And it's an escort. It's an ad for an S, an actual escort on um some website. I'm like, Holy crap, he is with this woman, this escort, this lady, right? So I let lunch go by and I'm like, oh, what am I like, what do I do? And I was so scared because I thought, I can't be called crazy again. Like this is really happening. And I ended up calling this woman after lunch hour was over. She was brilliant and wonderful, and we had an hour long conversation. She totally understood. Um, probably had her own bad relationships, I guess. And she she told me, yeah, he was at, He called me from his work. Um, came here at lunchtime. She said he was very aggressive and. Um. She told me every detail, and she said, she said, I'm telling you all this because I want you to believe it. She said, I know where you're at. And she said, I want you to remember um, every detail. So when he lies to you tonight, when he comes home, you'll know that he's lying. And I thought, this woman was brilliant. Like this unknown escort from some website who probably was instrumental on me getting on the right track. So... I packed up our baby, I was done, and I went off to a hotel room to try to figure out what my next steps were, and I stayed in this hotel for a couple days, and lo and behold, he calls me and yells at me, and tells me I'm crazy, and tells me I'm a prude, and I went back to him, and he promised that he would get help, he said I am a, I've am been seeing prostitutes every single day on my lunch hour. He was taking product from my business and selling it to the women at work to fund his, his addiction. So every single lunch hour he was engaging. So he jumped into therapy and to a treatment program and we were going to move into the city. Um, we were going to get an, an easier house to take care of. We were going to get therapy we're both going to go to groups we're going to get help and um part of me knew like when we bought the house i knew chances are very slim but i still was hanging on to that crazy dream and um came into the city to live and right away same stuff uh, started happening lots of crazy things i would catch him with i actually caught him red-handed um And it was then that he assaulted me again, and this time was worse. He was doing his hiding downstairs in the basement, not talking to me. And um, he was, I I caught him, um, he's an instructor, a teacher, and I caught him um, in a texting relationship with one of his students. And I lost my mind. I said, This is so wrong. Like this is, this woman may be an adult, but she's still, you're in a position of power and this is disgusting. And he went into such a rage that he basically almost killed me like it was him on top of me, strangling me until blackout. Um, My voice has never been the same. He's damaged my vocal cords, um, probably for life, because that was in 2013. Um, and yeah, so this time though, I actually had it in me because my now I had a daughter and she was there. Um, thankfully, she was asleep, but I called the police. And they came, I filed a restraining order. I did all of those things. And I was so close to leaving. And for the summer, he was, that whole summer... He was gone, and uh, then he came back, and he was bad, and he was broken. And in retrospect, he just needed a place to live because he was going back to work in the fall. So I I was fooled one more time. That was September. He came back. and
1: So when he came back this time... What did uh, everyone else around you think about you taking him back?
0: I still hadn't told anyone what was going on. I kept this secret from my sister, my friends. Um, I was living 100% a lie. I told nobody. Um, I was reaching out online, I was reaching out to experts in the state by this time. I was talking to anyone I could possibly talk to that was a stranger. I was researching. Somehow I'd found, um, I was Googling the things that were happening, and I found a site that talked about narcissist abuse, and I'm doing the checklist, and I'm like, what is this? Oh, my gosh, this is exactly him. He's like a textbook of this. Narcissist personality disorder and um, in those first few months like September when we first came back we were going into therapy and we had a few therapists that didn't work out and it was this amazing therapist that we went to that was really really instrumental in me leaving but um yeah so I hadn't told anybody um you know, people were seeing signs, and my sister knew. My sister hated them. She could see some stuff, but I, I was in denial still. So we we were back together. So when he left for those two months, no one knew he left. I didn't tell anyone that either. Right? I was I was very good at covering. Oh, he's on a camping trip. Oh, he went hunting. Um, I could always make excuses. So, um, yeah, he, um, where was I at? Let me think. Um, so we're in the city. Oh, we're starting therapy together, right? Um, the first therapist we went to, uh, was a flop because apparently I was flirting with this therapist. And I went, oh, really? Okay. Not so, but if you, if you say so. We went to the second therapist same thing. There I was again in his eyes. I was manipulating this one, I think. So that one didn't work out. Then we went to a guy who got it. And he had us do an in-depth bike assessment independently prior to our couple therapy. And um, apparently that told him some things about both of us. And in our very first session... Um he was trying to get us to talk about basic communication, and we were we weren't getting into anything deep. We were talking about very superficial um, topics, but something really minor set him off in this session and he He went into one of his i called them like a blind rage, and he left he left stormed out of the counselor's office and the counselor looked at me and he said, you are not going anywhere. I will walk you to your car. This man is dangerous. And he said, you're, you guys did assessments and he said he's, he's, a, he called him a psychopath. He said, he's a psychopath. And um, uh, I was like, "Whoa, okay. This is the first time someone else is being this and validating what I've started to see. And um, it was the next month that I actually left. He, he was getting ready to run away on one of his little runaways. It was the night before my 50th birthday. Um, we'd made big plans for my 50th. And the night before, um, he got upset about something and was packing a bag in a rage, hoping that I would chase him, hoping that I would you know, be all triggered and and plead with him not to go. And I remember I was sitting on the couch as he's ragefully packing the bag to storm out the door. And I'm just sitting there going, not this time. No more. No more. I'm not going to miss this. And he went out the door, and I actually put up my middle finger to the door and went, you will never I'm back in this house, I am done, and um, I got the locks changed the next day. And I never did let him in that house again, um, it was a hellish time. He came in my yard, and I had I always had this little dog when I went into the relationship with him. I, I had this little white pup, and that dog always hated him, he wouldn't ever close to him in, in all the years we were together and um, he he was in my yard to get some of his belongings from the garage and uh, I kind of, you know, I was looking out here and there but um, after he left, I went in the yard, was going to close the garage door that he left open and my dog was dead and uh, yeah, he killed my dog, and that was the most brutal, horrible thing and terrifying that I, up until that point, had ever experienced to see my, that dog was with me. And it's funny because um, that was the only other being that witnessed and was with me through All of that shit, you know, was the only other creature. He knew what had been happening. He saw it. He was there for every time I got strangled by that guy. He was there every animal that got abused. And um, he just stayed by my side all the time. so to go out in the yard and find that dog dead was um, probably the most traumatic of all. And uh, I was terrified. I was terrified and I have now I have a daughter that I know I have to spend to visitation with this guy, right? And um and I'm still dealing with that. I have shared custody with him now. I fought it in court for four years and um our court systems are so messed up here. And they didn't listen to me, even though I presented some crazy evidence along the way about, like, um, I found all his healing journals that he supposedly was working on himself and I keep going back to his old ways. But I found horrendous things written in these journals after he left. He left because he didn't know that he wouldn't be coming back, right? I suppose the door that night and I changed the locks, and I packed up his stuff and put it outside but um, I found these journals and when I read the things that he had done um, over the course of his lifetime in his own handwriting um, molesting animals raping women molesting younger siblings of his, horrible things that he had done, all in his handwriting, I thought, okay, if I submit this to the court, we're never going to give this man unsupervised custody ever. And um, boy, was I wrong. So to this day, all these years later, my little girl has to go and spend 50% of her time with this man. Um, and it's, it's absolutely brutal because the whole week she's gone, I live in fear. I try to just be healthy and strong and do good things for myself and get things done so I can spend good quality time when she's home with me. But uh, it is health when she's gone. Um, she's witnessed animal abuse. Um, I, I fear for her all the time. It's a horrible place to be. so as she gets older, she sees more, she doesn't want to go there, but she's also very scared to speak up, you know speak up her voice to say that because she doesn't know what he will do.:
1: So when you presented this stuff to the court, did they not care at all?
0: No. I, I I had one judge who looked at me and he said, Has he ever laid a hand on your child? And I said, No, he hasn't hit her. Has he sexually abused her? Not that I'm aware of. Well, there you go. He's the dad. He gets custody. He gets passed. Yeah. I took I took those same journals. I took them to police. I took them to children's services. And Everyone's overloaded, overworked. They didn't care. They honestly didn't care. I was, it was shocking. And narcissists, I think, are really, really good at muddying the waters so much that our case just became put into this box of being high conflict, um, toxic. You know, there's me trying to desperately explain And I'm not in a great, healthy, calm space. I'm frantic for the safety of my child. I'm suffering PTSD from the abuse. So I'm frantically trying to explain to the court why she shouldn't be with him unsupervised. But I'm looking probably a little crazy at this point because of what I had been through. So um, my advice to anyone out there who is starting this There are some amazing support out there and and courses, and I know you're starting to offer some, right, but that we get into a space of strength and power before we go fight this battle for our kids because I was not there, and I feel like I I handled things exactly opposite of how I should have handled them just because we were put into this high-conflict box. I mean, we were even ordered into co-parenting therapy together. So I had to go to therapy with this man who had tried to strangle me to death. And I had to sit and try to make co-parenting decisions. And I'm saying, you cannot co-parent with a narcissist. You may at best parallel parent alongside and you do your thing, they do theirs. But what I've learned is most of these people are counter parents. They do the anything to try to keep getting under your skin and keep the upper hand. And um, I've managed quite well in the last probably three and a half years since our trial that I will not engage with him at all. Um, exchanges are done at school. I, do, I only email him if it directly involves our daughter and I'm court-ordered to... Advise him of something, but I do not communicate at all with him. Um, yeah, and, and it's hard. It's hard on my my little girl. Like, that that's defined her childhood in a lot of ways, and it breaks my heart for her.
1: And how is she handling things right now? Um, just
0: anxiety. Um, she was open for a bit. She spoke to a social worker and disclosed some stuff and that that was not allowed in court because I didn't get his permission for her to talk to this person. So it got he knew enough to how to get it thrown out. Um so she shut down for a while. But now as she gets older, she's starting to see um how toxic it is there and she's like mom. It's not very healthy at my dad's house. I don't want to go there. And I have to be careful that I'm not... um, I, I don't talk badly about him, which is not easy. But I don't. And I... But I do ask questions, you know, like, well, tell me more about that. Or... So she's starting to open up a lot. She's opening up to her friends just recently, which is new. And her friends have been amazing and supportive. So... um. Just she, she has a really good awareness is the short answer. She has good awareness and I I like to think that she has become more resilient and has learned about toxic people. So um yeah, so she's she's okay, but she's she's struggling with some anxiety that I wish she didn't have to. I I I would I didn't want her childhood to go that way, of course. But it's, pretty
1: sad and as far as um your own healing process how have you begun uh dealing with everything that you've been through with him and uh maybe some other issues you had kind of going into it
0: um i've done a lot of therapy um i have done some um healing work with uh, for like specific to trauma so um, EMDR like the tapping stuff was really helpful for a while Um, and I continue to be in therapy and just keep digging deeper into why why I chose someone like that Um, I really have codependent tendencies Um, so just trying to be stronger There's, there's a lot more resources in the world I just watched A great, I think there's only two shows in the series, but on Netflix was Dirty John, and that was, like, hugely eye-opening. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's me right there. So um, just trying to be stronger and find my own voice. Um, I, I can be very assertive and strong in my career. I'm assertive and strong with people in the public if I need to be. But it's always been when it's come to um, romantic relationships that I seem to lose my strength. And I, I'm i trying to be very aware of that through therapy and through some amazing online support groups that I'm involved in that are... Um, I found some that aren't so great and some that are very positive and proactive and actually hold people accountable for their actions instead of just complaining, right? So I'm trying to to uh, find, I guess, too, because I'm an eternal optimist, find the good that came from that and the healing and be grateful in some ways for, for the teachings that I received through this individual.
1: And... For the people who are listening, do you have any words of advice or words of wisdom from uh, what you went through?
0: Mm, um, wow. I guess in a few areas, I suppose I do. Um, I guess the first thing that comes to mind is... Um, just because it's the most recent for me, is if you're going to court with one of these individuals, be aware and be actually prepared and not naive. Uh, really understand what you're dealing with. And that is one of my biggest regrets, is naively jumping into court thinking that if I just told the truth and I presented the evidence, they would believe me and... Everything would have, would work out okay. Um, I brought in mountains of evidence and no one really looked at it because he brought in five mountains and pretty soon the judge just looked at us like we were both annoying and it overwhelmed them and, and nothing got resolved. So we find a lawyer that really, really understands narcissists because. Otherwise, the lawyers will get annoyed too. So find someone, um, find a support group that gives you resources for lawyers that know how to deal with these type of people before you go into court against one because it's shocking what can happen. Um, And then just personally, I think, know yourself, right? And I think when we really are ourselves and we know ourselves and we know our values, we don't let this happen, but I I was too busy seeking his approval so he wouldn't leave me, and I guess just if I would have known myself and healed myself before getting into this relationship, I could have saved myself a ton of grief. So, yeah.
1: Well, Maxine, I want to thank you for being on the show today and for sharing your story. I know you're going to help a lot of people. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much.
0: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
1: And for everyone else who is listening, I hope you have a good night.